This is Josh Mills. And this is John Mills. Welcome back to another episode of Acquired Tastings. We are excited for you guys to be here this week. Not yeah. only because it's my favorite week, type of week, a wine week, but also we've got a surprise that we're going to talk about after we kind of go through the blind and you hear what we're doing today. So, Dad, we had a blind a couple weeks ago. Yeah, we did. What did we do last week? Last week we had cocktails. We had a great time. That's right. I had the Ancient Mariner, and, and what you have? You had a smash. I did a yeah blueberry peach bourbon smash. All right. Oh, with basil as well. Yeah, that's so, right. With basil. Yeah, it was lots of fun. Um, but we had a blind a couple weeks ago, didn't we? And yeah, liquor, the liquor week. And I don't even remember what I said it was. What? It's been so long. I can't remember. Something about. I can't remember. Did you oh, say it was I know Scott? what it was. Did you no. say it was Scott? No, I didn't say it was Scotch. It was a brown liquor, so it was barrel aged, and it tricked me on the nose. But when I tasted it, it was barrel aged gin. Well, technically, I think what happened was you were just going off on it, and it was really blowing you away. And then you bloomed it. Yes. Yeah. And then what happened, Josh? Then the juniper showed up. Yeah. And once the juniper showed up, I was like, "Yep, it's gin." So it was, I think I said it was Brandon's Barrel Age Gin here from Rocktown. Absolutely 100 correct. Woo-hoo. All right. Nailed it. Yes, you did. All right. So like we said, this week is a wine week. Now, if you were listening with us all along, you heard us say that this week we were going to be doing our summer white wine picks. Now, those of you don't fret, uh, we will still be doing that, but we're going to change it up a little bit because we were able to get a guest in this week. Yeah, and John. we have the wine director from Petit and Keat and Cypress Social. We have Susie, Susie Long with us this week. Well, say hi, Susie. Hello. <laughs> yeah, thank you for joining us. And thank you. Susie, what did you want to do as our topic this week? So I thought it would be interesting to do something a little bit deeper scientifically. So I thought carbonic maceration would be a good theme. Although I didn't know I was throwing off your groove. There. Oh, don't worry about <laughs> it. Don't worry about it. We... We are very flexible here. and We did know. summer whites last night. Yeah, we, we drank, we drank <laughs> them last night. Fa- family summer whites. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, yeah, carbonic maceration is a great topic. It's going to be lots of fun. There's so much to talk about. And, really? you know, we even get to talk about how for some people it's a it's a dirty word. Exactly. For some people in the wine world, which I'm, I'm not one of them. But so uh, we've got Susie with us this week. And, Dad, what are you going to be doing as your wine this week? And so what are your I, snacks? I have... Willamette Valley Vineyards, the whole cluster, 2020 Pinot Noir. Now, Susie may correct that it's not really carbonic maceration, but we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah. You know, it comes close. And what, what are your snacks, Dad? My snacks, very simply, I have Italian salami and French goat cheese. Awesome. So I've got three countries represented. <laughs> we do. We've got a lot going on here. Susie, what did you bring for this week? Uh, so I brought Mosque Vinos Los Conejos Malditos uh, Tempranillo Carbonico. So it is from Rioja. It is delicious. And uh, I think it's really exciting. Great. And what did you bring as a little snack for it? Well, I shut down the restaurant last night and I got home and I stuck my arm in my <laughs> pantry and I found some mushroom chips from Trader Joe's. And I oh. think that they might be really interesting with a fruity wine. Awesome. I think so, yeah. yeah, that's going to be great. And then I brought the Jean-Paul, I think it's Chevenet Morgan. Uh, from 2016, from one of the crew Beaujolais, which I just love, and it's a when you get to see the picture on the Instagram, it is a kind of a funky looking wine, and we'll talk about what all goes into that and why it kind of looks that way, 
And then as my snacks, I have some 18-month-aged comté. I have a goat, a goat brie-style cheese, and then some cheddar bratwurst. All right. So that sounds good, Josh. I'm be, getting hungry already. Yeah, it's going to be lots of fun. And we also have a little bit of garlic bread to go with our cheeses. But I think we're going to go ahead and jump in with the Beaujolais first. Sound good? All right. All right. Well, let's go ahead and, go ahead and check it out. And as you guys are kind of taking it in, on the look, I'm going to kind of talk a little bit, just a little bit about the vintner of this. So I'm just going to call him John Paul because I'm going to butcher the last name. Are you sure name. this isn't the Purple Haze beer? <laughs> I mean, this is pretty hazy. I am us. positive. Yes, it is. It is a quite hazy. Hard to see through it. Yeah, it's a, ha- it's it's a almost, hazy. Yeah, it's almost a purple, right? Yeah. Um, so this is from a third generation maker in the crew of Morgan, which is one of the sub-regions of Beaujolais. Now, listeners who've listened for a long time have heard us talk about Beaujolais a good bit. Um, we've talked about Nouveau Beaujolais. We've talked about, I think I've had one other mm-hmm. Beaujolais mm-hmm. as we're going through. Um, so this is from a small little region. Like I said, he's a uh, third generation, but he is part of a unofficial group called the Gang of Four. Um, so there's four makers, four vintners in Morgan who have kind of brought back the natural wine movement in Beaujolais. So I'm getting a lot of earthiness on the nose. Yeah. Susie, what are you getting? I mean, I just am really, part of what I love about carbonic maceration wines for summer is that they're so refreshing Mm -hmm. and so aromatic forward, which is just, you can serve them with a little chill on them and you still get that satisfaction of a red wine. But this guy is like delightful, very complex nose and lots of like fresh fruit coming forward too. Yeah, a lot of... A lot of big fruit coming forward, fruit you know, forward flowers yeah. are coming through, and like it just kind of jumps out at you and kind of says, hello, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I am enjoyable and I am fun <laughs> yeah. to, to give a nose to. And so as we're looking at this, you know, when it comes to natural wine, some of the things that have to do with that are not fining and not filtering out the wine at the very end. So that's mm-hmm. why this wine looks hazy and it has that nice, big, beautiful color on it. You know, it's made of 100% Gamay, which is a grape that is semi-related to Pinot Noir. It kind of got kicked out of Burgundy a long mm-hmm. time ago mm-hmm. and made a home in Beaujolais and just gives a lot of wonderful, wonderful fruit. Now, these the vines are average age 70 years old, so they're, they're average old. Average age 70 years old. Oh so, it's gosh. an old vine. <laughs> so, where do you fall? Do you consider Beaujolais to be part of Burgundy? So when I'm thinking of it geographically, I would say it's in the Burgundian area, mm-hmm. but that's the only way I think of it as Burgundian. Yeah. yeah. Taste-wise, it's not really. Yeah. Well, you can get some old Beaujolais that'll remind you of Burgundies. Okay. Yeah. I'm well, not getting a whole lot of tannins, are you? Of course, we're not, we hardly taste it. Well, that's part of, of what car, uh, carbonic maceration does is mm-hmm. within it the whole berry. Out. Yeah. Well, the tannins start to leach into the actual pulp of the fruit, mm-hmm. and then they start to be broken down by the carbon dioxide. So the tannins and the polyphenols and all those things fall within the carbonic maceration. Okay, okay. Yeah, so before we jump in too far, let's go ahead and feel free to start tasting anything as I'm kind of Was there a special order you had, Josh? Well, we kind of usually always go cheese and then meat, so uh, right. that's kind of how I would say do it. But kind of as they're, as they're getting into it and kind of trying and doing a little bit of the pairing stuff, I'm going to talk a little bit about carbonic maceration because it sounds like a big fancy word, but it all it really means is it's a way that fermentation is started. 
It's usually not completed this way, but they don't crush the grapes before they ferment it. They kind of put it in a big vat and they cover it up, take out the oxygen or pump in CO2. I've also seen in warm climates, then put dry ice on top to create that CO2 barrier. And then they just let it sit for a while. And what happens is... Now, this is always stems included. It, yes, it is always... It stay together in a bunch. So mm-hmm. they take the bunches and put them in a big vat. So because of the weight, sometimes you'll have some of the ones in the bottom that will burst open. And these guys being natural wine and a lot of... I would say, Susie, when you say a lot of carbonic maceration people don't inoculate, they just kind of let the natural yeast at the beginning. I would think it would be a requirement to do it that way. I mean, and and a lot of what I've read, you know, when you talk about the weight of the grapes crushing the grapes on the bottom, that in itself makes it a partial carbonic maceration instead of a full carbonic maceration. Right. So anytime you have any breakage of the grapes, or they'll acknowledge it, I guess, it becomes partial carbonic maceration because then the yeasts are getting to pure juice and it's going to kick it off in a faster way. So the way I heard you talk about this, Josh... You've got this big vat, and are they always stainless steel, or are they sometimes it depends, a it depends on the maker. Oak. Yeah, it could be a big kind of barrique style thing. It could be a plastic container. Okay. It could be in this case, it's cement. Okay. I read about a guy in Sweden using trash bags, yeah, I mean, and then he put them in his sauna to control the temperature. <laughs> Any kind of container would work, but where the, you can take but, out the oxygen. But I think what they do is they put the grapes in. They close the lid, and apparently they pump CO2 in to mm. pressurize and push the oxygen out. Yes, that's correct. Right. Okay. So this type of fermentation is done anaerobically, you know, big science word, no oxygen. And it actually starts inside the berry because you're not pressing it. That CO2 will leach into the berry and it will start to break down the malic acids and break down the sugars and start actually fermenting the juice inside and one of the things that happens because of that is we get less tannin exposure for a red wine Mm -hmm. because the tannins are in the seeds and the stems and the skins Mm -hmm. so since it's happening inside there's not all that extra exposure to the the juice is not exposed to all that extra stuff then at about two percent alcohol the berry will actually burst because it just pressure changes and it will actually burst and then then the natural yeast in the air will continue the fermentation and make it all the way through. Now with these guys, they only punch down. So they only push push and mix it only once. Okay. And it's at the very end of their fermentation. Okay. So that's why you're getting, with this one, you don't get a lot of that really bitey tannin. You get a lot of that fresh fruit that's coming through, that kind of uh, bright, a little bit more acidic wine than you would with some other Beaujolais. Mm-hmm. So now you have two different cheeses. Correct. So one is a, a brie or a goat cheese? A one is a, a brie made with goat's milk. Okay. And then the other one? Is a 18-month aged Comte, which okay. is oh. a... it's cl- Comte is actually close to Burgundy, so Comtes usually go really Doesn't well. Doesn't it have its own AOC as yes. well? Yeah, it has its own governing body that requires certain things for the cheese just like the wine mm-hmm. there's no wine made in comte that i know of mm. i don't think so i think they're they're not gonna they're not gonna waste that beautiful grassland on vineyards they need the cows to so this very there. earthy and 
you know, the acidity of this wine, at first it hit me, but now it's not. And so I'm, but I'm getting that earthy taste. And then with this goat cheese. Oh, super good. Yeah. It's super good. Yeah, yeah, this is a great wine for stinky cheese. Is she going to finish my sentence every time? <laughs> well, <laughs> you invited me here, yeah. so I might right. as well. I might as well. Well, help me out. You Somebody. know, if I... I start going in the wrong direction, finish it the other way. <laughs> somebody's got, somebody's got but, to keep him in but check. But yeah, super good. Yeah. That That's exactly where I was heading. So those, you know, Josh likes to say, it's a match made in heaven. And maybe that is right yeah. there. I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. These big fruity wines love, like Susie said, they love funk. Mm. They love earthy. Any kind of stinky cheese is going to go really well. With this, it would be interesting to have the yai toast with this. Yeah. So, have you ever had yai toast? I don't think so. So, yai toast is <laughs> a Norwegian. Is it Norwegian? Yeah. It's a Norwegian goat cheese that is cooked. I thought you were going like herring it, direction or something oh, no. like that. No, I was no, like, no, I'm no. out. I can't. Okay. <laughs> it's a, and Josh likes to say this, it's a peanut butter cheese. It looks like it looks like a square of peanut. We'll butter. cut you some okay. later. Yeah. Okay. You know, it comes it comes in a square. It's brown because they cook the goat cheese. Okay. But it has that texture of peanut butter. Well, do you source that in Little Rock, or do you? Is that yeah. something? Yeah, yeah. Whole Foods. Uh, Whole, Whole Foods, Foods has okay. it. Uh, Kroger's has it. I think I even have found it, at every once in a while at Ed. Well, okay, then I, I maybe bet, I have had it. I bet your trader. <laughs> no, Trader Joe's doesn't have it. Yeah, he doesn't. I've looked for Yai Toast. So, at Trader. Oh, I have okay. a confession. Sometimes I just look in the sale cheese yeah. and like the labels covered up. Right. But I was like, I bet it's so, good. But I think I you're right. Know. I think it would really go well. Yeah, because it would be like peanut butter and jelly. Mm-hmm. You would have that kind of fun play of that caramely, caramely acidity and plus the nuttiness. So would you say this wine is jammy? No. I wouldn't either. You said peanut not. butter and jelly. So I, well, I got confused. I would say it's very, very fruit forward. It yes. is more kind of like cooked or candied fruit mm-hmm. rather than jam. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I, like when I equate jams, I think of like pies and right. Zinfandels mostly. This to me is just more of like, um, like real fruit candy. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Susie, what do you think? I agree with you. I, I think that it's inc- incredibly refreshing. And if it had the type of residual sugar that you would need to call it jammy, it just wouldn't fit into. Mm-mm. I mean, how hot is it outside? Yeah. And we're so all hot. enjoying drinking. You want this. the real temperature or the feels like temperature? <laughs> I don't want either one. Well, it was 97 earlier and feels like 107. Right. And we're all drinking this wine and really enjoying it and not feeling like it's an effort to drink a red wine in this heat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could crush. This bottle's crushable. It's not a yeah. crushable price, but it's crushable. <laughs> And, you know, I was surprised by the amount of sediment in the bottle. Mm-hmm. I mean, just yeah, lots of crystals going on. I haven't. So for our listeners sake, she's looking at the bottom of the glass. And this is like the first pour for three people. And so I'm sure some of our listeners would pour this up. Mm-hmm. And if they looked like you did before they even tasted it, they'd be going, oh, I don't want that. Oh, sure. Super concerned. Right. Right. But. Listener, taste it. <laughs> and it also, the not being filtered, it adds so much nice texture to the wine. Exactly. You really, it's not tannin per se, but it, it has a mouthfeel that's distinct. Yeah. It's got, it's got like an extra kind of weight on it. Mm-hmm. That kind of, it's like when you have real 
compressed juice rather than juice from concentrate. Mm-hmm. You kind of, especially like during the fall when you get good, like good apple cider, mm-hmm. you have that kind of weight on top of it. So, well, awesome. Well, Susie, so you were the wine director at two local restaurants. Yes. Here in town. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the two different restaurants and kind of what is it like to be a wine director? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) So I work with uh, JTJ Enterprises, and uh, we currently have two two concepts that are independent restaurants in Little Rock. So Petit and Keat, which is over kind of in West Little Rock off of North Rodney Parham, and then Cypress Social, which is on the North Little Rock side of Maumel, almost to Maumel, which is our newer concept. Um, so Petit is that Keat, where Cock of the Walk was? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the, right. actually, the street is still Cock of the Walk Lane. Yeah, that's what I thought. And um, so we rebuilt that building, and it's very reminiscent to what it looked like previously, but of course, majorly updated. Mm-hmm. The company t- tends to to overdo as far <laughs> yeah. as interiors go, and yeah. with Gary Merton's our designer and all those things. So Petit and Keat's been around for about four and a half years, and I came on uh, before we started there. And then Cypress Social opened in August of 2020. Mm-hmm. So that's been a, a wild ride and an adventure in itself. During the pandemic. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky. This is my first This is my first wine list where I was in control and somebody trusting you to do that. Right. And I really have a lot of um, latitude to do what I want to and to try to build the wine scene in Little Rock and to be creative uh, with wine list and it's great to be able to introduce the city to new things where mm-hmm. I can and host events. Like we've got a wine class coming up. I didn't tell you about it. I'll tell you about it later. No, I've been but, several, you know, no. Yeah. And well, when, dinners and when's, fun stuff. When's the wine class? And what's there? What's your... uh, it will be actually next Monday. We're having a wine class. So it'll be after. Okay. It'll be before this, uh, this episode yes. is released, but it'll be about South African wines. There's a new importer coming into the state. And so. Awesome. Yeah. Like, I'm not even hosting the wine class because this guy's going to knock my socks off with knowledge. So I'm like, awesome. bring it on. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll cool. be cool. Okay, is the vintner's coming? Uh, it's not a vintner. He works for the importer. I think he's the owner of the importer. Okay. So, so. so my experience with Petit and Key is uh, many fold, but one of them that I really enjoyed is once they could start cooking their food again and you could do a drive-by pickup and you could bring that food home with one or two bottles of wine that matched the food. But yeah, you had to do a little bit of cooking at home. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you had to braise. The, oh, the virtual had, wine dinners. Yeah, you had to braise the food. I mean, not a big deal. Yeah. And those were fantastic meals when all of us were sitting at home with COVID going, oh, man, I just need something better than this food I've been making. Right, something to do, making it an event. And it was, you know, it was fun to be able to pivot in times like that. And, of course, when um, Arkansas allowed us to sell wine to go and being able to figure out how that works and how to mm-hmm. best be of mm-hmm. service with those types of things. Um, but I am really just happy to be back mm-hmm. in full swing and having guests in the building and being able to have mm-hmm. the full experience because we can't give you an environment and, and all of those things when you're in your own home. Mm-hmm. And it's our job to take you out of your reality and give you just a few hours of reprieve. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been to Cypress Social yet. It's well, on my on. it's on my list to get out there, uh, but I've been to Petit and Keat a couple different times, and it is a it's a very nice restaurant. The food is Arch fantastic. Class. Yeah, 
the decor it's you know it's it's a comfortable modern it's not like super bright modern right. which i love and the mm-hmm. like in the service is fantastic great wine list uh, if you're if you're around Little Rock, definitely check it out they've got a good happy hour yeah, we've got a, a good happy, happy hour, well. and we've also won let's best wine list four years running in Arkansas Times, yeah, and then mm-hmm. 2019 mm-hmm. wine enthusiast top 100. Yep. So uh, other people agree yeah. with me that we're doing pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's one of our it's one of our nice restaurants in town, and it definitely, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel stuffy. Yeah, you know, it doesn't have that like old school white glove service feel, but you get that same level of service in right. a relaxed kind of. So I, I, you know, it's like Southern, like upscale Southern atmosphere. Cypher yeah. Social is wonderful. It's, you know, the exact same service and atmosphere. It's just with a more Southern focused menu. Okay. And it's kind of all areas of the South. We made sure to include some Delta, some mm-hmm. Cajun, some Low Country, all mm. kinds of areas of the South. So we're not kind of pigeonholed into one area. Yeah. Right. But uh, it's beautiful. It's on a lake with a fountain. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. like, it's got this great wraparound deck. And we've got this courtyard on the side. And like, it's, there's That's so much awesome. space and there's critters come visit us. Oh, well, yeah. So, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really, really fun. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good little escape mm-hmm. uh, where you're kind of it really is. kind of in the city in the suburbs, but then you can go out there and feel like, you know, you've just traveled miles out into the sort kind of the woods. Way, mm-hmm. And then yeah. you, you don't have to worry about anything. So that's great. Well, we're going to kind of jump back into the wine because I love this wine. Like, and I, I just, am I just had your brat. And so it's got cheese in the middle. That's correct. It's a cheddar brat. Yeah. So you gave it a pretty good little char. Yep. So that char and this wine's earthiness mm-hmm. are fantastic. Yeah. And then that greasiness and the, the wine. Fat. You can say yeah. fat. Okay. The fat <laughs> and the wine. Man, they're. Again, they're just perfect. So I love they really. Sitting. So these type of these type of wines to me love fat because you. When I'm tasting this, I want to take that that high fruit and I want to kind of want to give it that bottom note. I want to kind of mm-hmm. bring it and mm-hmm. kind of round it out. And one of the you know for me, one of the things that does that is fat, yep. and that's why I think Beaujolais wines love like sausages and those type of foods. Like it's one of those things that you know in Beaujolais. You know, they're, they're a bunch of kind of farmer. There's no real major town in Beaujolais. So there's no like metropolitan. It's just a bunch of farmers doing like great stuff. So you have that kind of more casual, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, peasant style food where you mm-hmm. have sausages, ratatouilles, those type of rustic. things. Rustic. There we go. Yeah. More of those kind of rustic dishes. And I think that they just go really, really well because they have that mm-hmm. balance of earthiness plus the bright fruit. And then the acidity just kind of match. And oh, and again, if we could have found some duck, yes, <laughs> if I could have found duck. There would be duck on the plate. Oh, yeah, I love duck. Yeah. especially talking about Jolie. I have duck. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> keep trying to reach out to these duck hunters, and they just keep holding on to their own duck. <laughs> the other thing I've learned about duck hunters is they don't keep the fat. A lot of them. Because it's easier to skin mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. I like needle like, dress. Yeah, to just like so to to take off the feathers and stuff, they'll just take off the entire skin, mm-hmm. and so you'll just be left with the meat and the carcass. And I'm like, no. I want to ask you though: Have you ever plucked a chicken? I have not. And then I, you'd understand. I would. No, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally understand. But I'm like, man, there's so much there that that'd be so good. But mm-hmm. I get how it can be kind of how it's a how it's a task, but. 
So a little bit about where this wine comes from. Like I said, it comes from Beaujolais. It comes from Morgan, which is one of the 10 crews of Beaujolais. The crew is the second largest, but it's only 4.5 square miles. So we're talking like that's not very big no. at all. Mm-mm. But it's the second biggest crew in Beaujolais. There are six different named vineyards. This doesn't come from one of them. Mm. But they have like different... They say they each, each one has a different style. I don't know. Have you ever had a single vineyard? Beaujolais? I was just wondering if if I have, and I don't know that they're necessarily available to us. Yeah. And I also, in Beaujolais, there are single winemakers, but I feel like there's a lot of purchasing fruit back and yeah. forth because the region's so small. Yeah. And like, what if one area, you know, gets hit with, hits with hail or something like that? Exactly. Yeah, because hail, hail's a big thing there because it, it's kind of like our Midwestern climate. You know, you okay. get storms that'll mm-hmm. pop up and hail and it... They hate the sound of hail because it destroys the fruit. Oh, yeah. And so, like, this winemaker, Jean-Paul, has only 4.5 or 4.85 hectares. So, it's a small, mm-hmm. small bit of land. If it gets hit with hail, he can, you know, mm-hmm. not make as much, not make any wine or maybe just a few little bits. He does about 2,000 cases per year. The Morgan region has in that four and a half square miles there's two hundred and fifty producers. Right. Which is inc- incredible to me. Incredible. Right. And they, they make about seven and a half million bottles of wine a year. So it's a good little output from a small mm-hmm. small little area. It's a nice wine. It's delicious. Well are we ready to kind of step to our next our next wine? Do we want to Go ahead and move on. Is it time? Any questions before we move on? Uh, I just want to say I think this is a delightful pick. Yes, this I love. The price point on on this wine is is a little up, so that the listeners know. I think I got it at I got it at Colonial, and of course I got it on Wine Wednesday, but I think the bottle was marked thirty four. So that's a that's a little bit up there. So not necessarily a Tuesday night wine. No. But not at the same time. Why not? Why not? Well, I guess. <laughs> Unless you're making a good meal. <laughs> but yeah, it, it'll run you about, depending on where you're at, 25 to 45 probably. Beaujolais have started to skyrocket. Sure. they become more popular. Yeah. All right. So we're going to go ahead and switch over to Dad's Wine. So we're going to head from France to the United States. And Dad, what are you doing and what are your pairings? Again, I'm doing the Willamette Valley Vineyard. Pinot Noir 2020 that is called Whole Cluster. And I have Italian salami. And then I have a French goat cheese. So we kind of got that goat cheese thing going. Yeah. (laughs) So this, uh, I was talking about the price point of yours. The price point of this one is about 25. Yeah. So that's a little better. And, you know, on Wine Wednesday, you're going to get that 15, 20% off, whatever your number is. Now, when I looked at what to pair with it, you know, if we're going to do big food, duck showed up, barbecue showed up. I even watched a video of a guy up in Montana who was making big, healthy, stewed beef. Sure. And it, it would have gone really well. But I went with the snack thing and... Right on the snack list, you get herb crackers, you get you get the 
salami or some kind of meat like that or goat cheese. So I'm doing the snack thing, but you can do whatever you want to. Now, this is like a fruit salad in your glass. It's very, wouldn't you say, very fruit forward, just like yours was? Yeah, it kind of punches out of of the glass and kind of gets you. But this is more, to me, it comes across more like dark fruit. Mm-hmm. More like kind of blackberry-ish. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of experiencing, you say fruit salad, but I'm kind of experiencing a little bit more fruit cocktail where it's like maraschino cherry, but also there's like a little bit of a stone fruit type of situation, which like makes me think on of the, pear. On the back, on the back on end. The, on the back end of your face. On the nose, nose, it's like a minerality that kind of okay. reads almost like a stone fruit, like a okay. pear situation to me. Okay. Yeah. I can so, definitely see that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, sometimes things, you know, what does it remind me of? And it's right, like actually exactly. a can of fruit cocktail <laughs> kind of. Oh, well, that old fruit cocktail that comes out of that can. That's not what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh. know, but, there, but there's elements <laughs> up there. What does I'm, it remind I'm, me of? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't saying that. Yeah, this is, this is definitely black fruit but it's cocktail. Still, maraschino but it's, cherry. Right, the right. The actual yeah. black one that's not. Put oh, into gosh, that red yeah. color stuff. You know you, you know? can buy green maraschino cherries at Edwards. No, are you? Not I did not. Are you know disturbed? That. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. And this is out of Willamette. Should I say Damn Joy? In Oregon, we always say it kind of. Yeah, at least at least right. Right. Yeah. And I just love uh, Willamette Valley winemakers and how authentic they are as a group of people yeah. and. Uh, you know, just interesting, real people uh, and things that they do that are very altruistic. Like they have a self-imposed tax that is higher per mm-hmm. ton of grapes. And that is so that they can provide health care for yeah. uh, migrant workers uh, coming through and working in the area and things like that. Which I just, just like so respect them for all of those efforts. Yeah, they're 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 a fun group of people. You know, we talked a little bit about uh, Erie. We talked we talked about him and kind of how they kind of got started. And we yeah. did our Oregon episode. Yeah. And um, kind of how they just came in. And like you said, they're kind of, they're really authentic. Like, we're not going to really change who we are to right. make mass market wine. We're going to make the wine we want to make because that's why we're here in the first place. And even to this day, like I went to um, Oregon Pinot Camp okay. a few years ago and just meeting all the winemakers and third generation, you know, they're kids that have stayed around then and they are moving into this business, but they still feel connected to the land and they don't think of it as a commercial product and it's really about you know sustainability and and important things like that yeah it's it's a cool it's a great it's a great region if you want to try and find stuff that's responsibly made and responsibly um, farmed so the whole cluster has the stems in it so they don't de-stem them correct so i'm not sure how similar it is, but I think it's very similar because those stems give a potassium push with the tannic acid. And so the tannic acid goes down and that pH goes up. Mm-hmm. I'm sure this was very risky when they were first starting on how to do this. You know, I'm, I I read a, read a thing and I could go hunt it down, but, you know, you could... You could start out with, you know, maybe 50% cluster with stems and then the rest of it without, Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't have turned out as less tannins Mm -hmm. 
because those stems work so hard chemically to get rid of that tannin. Right. And it that kind of tannic is... acid, which we know what that feels like in our mouth, makes our teeth fuzzy and yeah. all of that. Yeah, and so, you know, there's there's whole cluster fermentation is not always the same as carbonic. It can be. Well, okay. So if if the grape is whole, then within itself it creates an anaerobic environment. Correct. And so any whole cluster, any non-crushed fermentation is a partial carbonic fermentation. Yes, it it comes into that realm of where are you drawing the line because you know, sometimes they'll let the berry sit and go through that anaerobic within the berry, but they won't they won't seal the container and make it a an entirely but anaerobic. But at that environment. point, so sugar plus yeast equals alcohol. Correct. With the carbon dioxide as a oh, byproduct. We're getting chemical so, in here. Oh man, here so, it comes. Yeah, but listen. So like even if the the method traditional, which we were talking about in Beaujolais, right, where they just dump it all in the tank and the stuff on the bottom just gets crushed. Mm-hmm. You don't have to pump CO2 in that container for an anaerobic environment to be created. All you have to do is seal it. And at some point, the carbon dioxide from the yeast fermentation that's happening on the bottom will push all the oxygen out, and then you will have an anaerobic environment. That's just like making beer. I mean, all of a sudden, the yeast is eating up the sugars and then making the CO2, and it pushes that oxygen out and the CO2. And that's where you're talking about, like, maybe carbonic is a dirty word, because ultimately, is carbonic maceration not the least interventionist winemaking method you could use if you just capped it and didn't pump in there? And then it's natural wine, and we all know that there's a lot of terrible wine being made right now, with the sake of calling it natural wine because it's cool, but it's, it's also it's just garbage product. Right. Orange wine. I kind of like some orange wine. I kind of like orange wine. Do you? Yeah. Do you yeah. too? Yeah. And, you know, and also. I've not had Not it, all so of I'm, them. Yeah. But, oh, come see me. I got some. I got some cold at PK right now. Oh, it's okay. not open on Sunday. <laughs> but, um, so, because you're also wondering, looking at things like why aren't there carbonic macerations for white wines? Mm-hmm. Because it would become an orange wine because orange wine is just a skin contact white wine. And mm-hmm. if it were to have. Mm-hmm. And so there were no examples that I was able to find of people that were admitting they were doing it that way or mm. available to us. I mm. imagine it's a pretty rare situation. Although I did read about some Willamette vintners that are making carbonic maceration sparkling wines. Yeah. Okay. Now, how would you that. do that? Well, you when you make a sparkling wine, you have to make still wine first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you make a carbonic still wine. Gotcha. And then you go for, then you make it sparkling. Now, so there... The other, when we get in, this is the whole terminology thing. There are plenty of people who take whole cluster, whole clusters and press them mm-hmm. whole cluster. Mm-hmm. And then you have people who destem and press single berries. So this, the whole cluster, the whole cluster term could mean different things depending on where you are. Cause there are, you know, if we're going to go back to France, there are people in Burgundy who will, who will pr- crush whole whole cluster because they want that extra tannin, that tannin from the squeezing. Right. And then, so you have this kind of weird thing. And so you can call something whole cluster that could be you know, traditionally pressed or it could be, you know, fermented in a style of carbonic. Well, and that's also a question to ask yourself about carbonic maceration. Is it a requirement that it be whole cluster? Because you could theoretically handpick the berries off and then do a carbonic maceration without the stems. stems. Right. I mean, that's a possibility. I don't think, I mean, it wouldn't, 
the bottle of wine would be like four hundred dollars. Yeah, just because. Come right. Yeah. Well, but, yeah, and, and that potassium wouldn't happen. Correct. Because the stems aren't there, so it wouldn't make the tannic acid go down. But you would initially have less possibility for tannic for tannin exposure because you don't have the stems. That's right. But also, so it, the tannin, there's some pluses and minuses yeah. here. The tannin could be reduced in theory from until it gets that two percent alcohol. The tannin's leaching into the pulp of the juice, which is going to do something to it instead of just skin mm-hmm. on juice contact. Right, right. It's just coming into the pulp. Right, and it's yeah, it's <laughs> it's a it's a completely muddy water. Now, going to your point about hand picking. So, are we agreeing before, that carbonic maceration is a spectrum? Yes. Think. Okay. Good. I, I think I think it is a spectrum. I want to trade that trademark that right now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I also but I also think, you know, going to your point of hand picking for carbonic. Now, carbonic when we talk about Beaujolais, one of the reasons it's done not just in Beaujolais but everywhere is because it helps you to get fermentation going faster. So you can get through you can get through the fermentable sugars faster and then your wine doesn't need as at that point these carbonic wines don't need as much time to calm down in barrel to go through mallet to go through mallow because in the process of carbon of of the inside the berry it's already breaking down the malic acid so you don't have to spend that extra time that it can take so you can get your wines to market faster which is one of the reasons why nouveau beaujolais gets to market so fast is because mm-hmm. they, it goes through carbonic maceration, then they push it out, find it, filter it, and then they get it out because it's it's done. Right. Now there's finessing that can be done with barrel and oak, and that's one of the reasons why this Morgan costs, you know, in the 30s mm-hmm. and Nouveau costs in the 15s. Right. So the that's same right. thing can be said when it comes to comes to white wine. I think that's one of the reasons they don't do it is because they want that malic acid. Right. I would agree with that. But at the same time, you and I want malic acid, but let's be realistic about what the market wants, which is often buttery oak chardonnay, in which it's gone through a process to convert the malic acid. So it's just a different kind Mm -hmm. of process. Right. And I think that when people look at orange wine, it's just startling because it looks like maybe it's bad. Right. You're not sure. When we we know white, we know red. Mm. We kind of know rosé, but this orange stuff, I'm not sure. (laughs) And I think orange wine is is a, a tricky area as well. I've had some goods, I've had some bads, I've had some in betweens. So have you tried the goat cheese? I'm trying it currently. Have you tried it, Susan? Yes. Now, to me, it's not as good a match with this Willamette Pinot Noir as it was with your Morgan. Yeah, well, I- it's good. Mm-hmm. It's a good match. I'm just saying the other one was so much more earthy and, you know, the same, same like-like taste. Right. And this is not a, you know, it's not a contrast taste. Right. But it's not as much of a like-like as the other one was. What do you think? I mean, I really like it. What do you think? Mm, I kind of like the tartness of the goat cheese because this wine... Compared to the Morgon, does seem much more full-bodied. I bet the alcohol content's a good bit higher. Um, yeah, the Morgon's at 13. This is 13 and a half, so it's not, not a good bit Not that much higher, higher yeah. No. But it, um, I think the tartness lifts mm-hmm. the experience together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
it does kind of brighten it up. I think this is the place you're kind of getting that like a disharmony is mm. the goat cheese is a little bit more acidic than the wine. Mm-hmm. So it's created, there's a little bit of tension between the two, mm-hmm. but they still work together to, to kind of, they play well together. Yes. And what about the salami? Anybody tried that yet? Going for it now. So, well, while you're trying it, I, I really like this. The, the founder of this Willamette Valley Vineyard, his name is uh, Jim Banal. And what he believes in is that there's a healthy form of business when it's owned by the community. Okay. So this is a community-owned winery. I think I'm going to sign up because it shows here on, on this sheet that I'm looking at all, all the different uh, advantages to being a member. Sure. You know, 20% off. Right. <laughs> now, I'm not sure. Taxes. You know, we got this thing about wines being shipped to Arkansas. I don't know if that breaks this hurdle I'm, by being a member. I am so confused about what's illegal and illegal these days as far as, you know, as you, wine goes and what. Yeah. Because you so, hear 18 different things from 18 different people, and most of those people I would trust. And right. I, I don't think anybody's trying to and lie. I, I, think it's, I think it really comes down to each specific vineyard you talk to. Exactly. Because some of them, some of them like follow the changes and see like, oh, well, this law has changed. So now we actually can. We can send it to you. You can't have like a third party mm-hmm. send it to you. But we can, we can send it to you since we're coming direct from vineyard. So... So but I some would, will, uh, some will also just be like, nah, we're not going to do it. Yeah. Well, we I would hope being one of the community owners, you would be considered as the same as the owner that lives in Willamette Valley. Well, you know, but it just has a uh, vacation house in Arkansas, <laughs> <laughs> and so they would ship it to us. You know, I mean, and that's interesting. It's owned by the community versus uh, it's such a big story whenever a wine uh, goes public and is uh, for sale mm. in the stock market is like very controversial. But then exactly. the, the hippie dippy side of it in Oregon, they're like, it's just community owned, man. It's all it's so, all good. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they didn't scream they're organic. But mm-hmm. when I saw pictures, you know, you got the grass growing in every other row and I'm sure they're doing a lot of oh, things. And organic is such a... So my parents... There's so many levels. Right. Well, my parents have a uh, farm, Long's Natural Farm in El Dorado. It's a hobby for them. And they raise uh, pigs and a lot of other things. But they do have a certification. But when you start to look at organic certifications, it, it sometimes just handicaps you in what you need to do mm-hmm. in order to produce within a year. So, for example, they have pigs... Well, they're not going to just give them medicine unnecessarily, but if one of them's sick, they're going to go to the vet. Right. And then all of a sudden, that's not an organic product. Or if you feed them your leftovers that aren't organic, oh it's God. no longer an organic product. But oh then, yeah. you know, you talk about the cycle of food and food waste and all mm-hmm. of those things. Well, that doesn't make any sense. If right. I'd eat it and I had a box of cereal that just went stale, why can't I just feed it to the pig? Exactly. It's just all very complicated when it comes to it the really certifications. Is. And then also there's something like if your land is within a certain radius of somebody else who's not organic. Right. You can't, you can't, you be, can't be in trouble. Certif- right. You can't be certified organic. It's right. expensive. 
Yeah, and your land has to be had non not have any chemical use on it for seven years prior. Uh, yeah. There's just so much that happens within that, and I think that I trust that every winery and winemaker worth their salt in Willamette Valley is doing everything they can mm-hmm. to be true to the land. Oh yeah, and so if it doesn't say it on the bottle, like right. all right. Much like a lot of French winemakers or French wineries don't put organic on the bottle, mm-hmm. even though they are organic, they just don't want you to buy it only because it's organic. Right. Right. And they they look at that and like, nah, we've been doing it forever. <laughs> right. You I don't should need trust to, us. I don't need to spend an extra sum of money sure. to certify what I've done. But it also comes into the theory, like Susie said with the pig, exactly. if something's wrong and I know how to fix it, I'm going to fix it. Exactly. You, know, you don't certification, want to certification be whatever. Right. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna, you know, lose that amount of dollars. Right. Just because I have this, you know, little small little sticker right. kind of thing that goes on the back label. All right. Did you try this salami? I did. Yeah. I think it goes really, really well. Cause it has that like to me it has that fat that goes with that kind of high high in fruit content. Mm-hmm. Fruit exposure content, whatever. Yeah, I liked it too. You like it? You know, we were just talking and I was just eating it. I didn't even really think about it and it was enjoyable. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. I think is a good pairing is one that you don't have to. You don't have to think about. Think about yeah, because how many of, like, how often in your real life do you sit around and analyze how well your your snack is going with your wine? Once a week. Once a week. <laughs> <laughs> On the schedule. On the schedule. So, there are no rules, but if I... Could have broke a rule. I did because I tried the brat, and I bet it went really, really well. Oh, is, went- that, <laughs> is that a rule? Because I tried the, no. the soft you tried cheese. It too? <laughs> oh, no. it went really, really well because yeah. there there was so much more fat, and it had that little sense of of the cheese down mm-hmm. in the middle, and that went. That was stellar. Yeah. So, so these type of wines that you can put a chill on that for us down in the south are wines that you red wine drinkers want to drink in the summer that you can put a chill on. Every single one of them is going to be a great barbecue food, a barbecue wine. Oh, right. yeah. Well, that was on the list. Hands down. Because they have that structure that just kind of lead, lends you to having those type of foods. It's juicy and refreshing that foils the smokiness. Exactly. Oh, especially when you get like something smoked and you get the charred ends mm-hmm. with like a really good fruity wine. Yeah, <laughs> we did. So last, the last wine episode we did was Zinfandel's. Sure. And we had, we had barbecue ribs with it. And I was like, Zinfandel's and Primitivo's are some of the primo barbecue wines that if a local place is going to have a wine list in their new brick and mortar place zinfandels would be great to have on the list oh, you oh are you gonna tell them are you hint hinting to, to I'm, me i'm about- just i'm just saying if, count, <laughs> if if the um transylvanian barbecuer <laughs> wants to have wine at his at their new brick and mortar place yeah zinfandels would be uh, awesome you know we haven't gotten into a discussion about uh what will happen with that beverage program but yeah. i'm sure I'm sure it'll be delightful. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we have a we have a local food. They were a food truck, and then they were like a food truck space barbecue that that is adding a second location. That's going to be in the uh, restaurant management group that uh, Susie works for, and I'm I'm excited because it's you know eight blocks from my house. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. So 
and and I I just their their barbecues were good too. Oh, it is very good. Not as you know. Yeah, I'm downtown, so I get to swing through the rail yard yeah. uh, pretty regularly. <laughs> no. Cool. Well, well, Dad, anything else you want to kind of chit chat uh, about your I wine? No, that was that was pretty much it. I mean, you know, each one of these we could we could talk a lot. And Susie, I just want your take on what maybe the difference between O cluster mm-hmm. and carbonic maceration is. Is there really? I mean, are they the same? Are they different? How are they different? I, How, I know they're a, the same. A lot of the same. Right. I think that it's uh, kind of what I I, uh, coined earlier is that carbonic maceration is a spectrum. And I think Mm -hmm. that whole cluster has its benefits, like you were talking about with the potassium Potassium and the tannins. Right. And being able to help with that. Um, I think think that anytime your grape isn't crushed, there is a level of carbonic maceration happening. And within the grape skin and within its own little unit, there is anaerobic fermentation happening and those acids and tannins are being affected that way. Mm-hmm. And so it's to what extent of carbonic maceration something goes through will just determine how much those characteristics shine. Cause like right. when we tasted the Morgone, I mean, I think that has to be a very high percentage of carbonic maceration with the, oh, yeah. the very fruitful, very flirtatious nose, you know, say, mm-hmm. Hey, look at me. I'm here. I'm fun. You like me. Mm-hmm. And I think with yours, there's probably it's a percentage of it is carbonic maceration. I think that it might have been less controlled. And so Maybe. that there was juice on the bottom happening that was crushed. And so it's partially carbonic. Okay. At that okay. point. So I think that yeah. it's, and realist, it would just be so hard to control something to make it a true 100% carbonic maceration. Yeah. With, with this one, I could see it being put in vats like open top vats whole cluster mm-hmm. and then they let it go for a while and say okay what happens what happens right you know, mm-hmm. if we get some in so they're not like pumping in the co2 they're not they're not sealing the container mm-hmm. they're just letting it happen and then for a certain number of time and then they go ahead and press it and they do their pump overs or, or press downs to kind of get that extra body but it, mm-hmm. it starts and i think that's kind of where you're going to being that kind of semi-carbonic yeah you and know, gives the, it that time. The fact that the berries are going to burst after two percent alcohol tells us that there's so much that happens in between the finished little, product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, there's so much that happens in that first two percent, but then there's so much that happens afterwards after yeah, the carbonic maceration has taken place. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot. So of, there's a lot happening exactly two percent, which is like amazing how much it can affect a wine only with that start as well for yeah. carbonic maceration. But you know, even within Beaujolais, there's the method or maceration traditionnelle, which is just dumping it in a tank yep. and letting the bottom fruit get crushed and then just sealing it. And then there's the maceration carbonique, which is which actually is sealing it with the CO2. Yeah. yeah. And so, and I don't think either one is rated higher above the other necessarily. It's just a, a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would think if you were talking about maceration carbonique, you'd be talking about uh, better temperature control, which would cause the fermentation to go on for a longer period of time, maybe a cooler fermentation, mm-hmm. which would let, so 2%, let's say if you could keep it really cold. Well, it's like you oh. said, Josh, you, mm-hmm. to, you put that, that dry ice on top. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a guy named Stephen. Because there's a lot of heat created by the Stephen actual Hickenbotham action. in 1986 
he patented a method in Australia of a sealed plastic bag with dry ice. Yeah. So I think that that is... I got a black plastic bag. That's what I'm saying. Go get, get you some, some musket I, I can get... I can get some It does make you wonder, like, yeah, you talk about fermenting in plastic. Like, does that make me uncomfortable? Does it not? I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those uh, Aussies, they're going to try anything. Right. They might as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that there's, it's like once you open the door of carbonic maceration and start talking about it, I mean, it takes you down such a, a rabbit hole scientifically, but also, yeah, where does it start and where does it end? Exactly. Yeah. Well, 2% is where it ends. 2% is, <laughs> 2% is where it's done, but yeah. But it but it's where does it start? Because it can even, it can actually even start on the vine if right. you're not careful. Right, right, right. Oh, I didn't yeah, even think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, how does that, is it like if you let your grapes be late harvest and the animals don't get to them, but they, it doesn't start to dry out to make like a. Okay. Well, so what it, it can, if you, if you just leave it too late. Yeah. If you're not like if you're not trying for a late harvest, but you know, let's say in a warmer climate, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, you go from seventeen where you go like your bricks jump mm-hmm. and you don't notice it in time, mm-hmm. or it takes too long for you to 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 um, pick your vineyard. Mm-hmm. It can actually start, and it actually starts once you pick. Okay. Once you pick, because, it was like no you longer said, living in a right, way inside right. the berry. The CO2 has nowhere to go because now that it's disconnected from the vine, the CO2 can't go, it can't go anywhere. So it's still stuck there. And now it's started. And that's why for people who buy grapes Mm -hmm. or buy juice, it's so important to keep it cold and get it fast because it's already fermenting. It's already started. So is Uh, everyone a carbonic maceration wine? No. I mean, I don't don't think so. I feel like you might have just. I don't think so because I don't think it happens fast enough. Right, and I wonder too, would you potentially do that on, on purpose if you were dealing with something like brandy production? Ooh, I mean, a, you know, if you want to talk about, should we like, pause it, Josh? No, so that you can think about this question. <laughs> no, I am going to think about it though, but I think Susie's going to start talking about her wine while I think. about Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Let's. So get tell into us it. again what 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 you have, and then what are your little pairing with it is okay so i brought from you the winery is called mosque vinos um it is a uh, rioja winery this is los conejos malditos which translates to the damned rabbits <laughs> so if you look at damn rabbit hole no <laughs> not alice in wonderland <laughs> if you look at the label here it's it's super eye-catching it's one of the first things i mean you're not supposed to judge a book by its we're cover. smoking a cigarette well he's they're like bandits and they're stealing the grapes and he's it's tied up, tied up with a blindfold on, smoking a cigarette, and there's one uh, like taking a nap, like drunk, passed out. I don't know. It's just, it's such a cute, funny label. And um, so, under COVID rules, I can go to Petite and Keith, order that wine, uh-huh. take a sip out of it if I have to. I mean, you cork don't have to. You, you don't have to. I can anymore. tell you, yeah, in the state of Arkansas currently, I can sell you unopened beer and wine unopened i uh-huh. thought it had to be open. no that was the whole chain that was the whole chain was it was okay, okay. You can sell unopened. and then also delivery which we're not currently doing delivery anymore thankfully we are uh too busy to be messing with that yeah but um yeah so i can sell you this wine i do carry this by the glass of petite and keat because i think it is so fun um and i just really like kind of joyful wines you know 
But, Love the bottle. Yeah, get it while the getting's good because apparently a shipment just landed in California next week, but that means it's going to take us a little while to get here, so I might be running out. Well, for but, the listener's sake, I looked for it at, you know, the number one liquor store, I think, in Little Rock. Right. And nowhere to be found. Yeah, well, hopefully it's because a case is hiding somewhere from me. What? <laughs> well, it could, it could be because Seth Barlow had an article where that wine was listed so i guess everybody went out and bought it right well and it was me that listed that wine i guess it tells you how much i like it i just (laughs) i think it's so fun um and also i'm very value oriented and this wine's gonna come to your pocket for like under 15 dollars oh no way yeah right and so the quality oh for what you're you're paying when i talk about a tuesday wine that's something that you can grab definitely three or four bottles of have it around have no guilt about if you open the second one and you don't finish it, well, you know what? Exactly. It's going to be okay. Yeah. So this is a carbonic Tempranillo, which is something that um, at first came very unexpected to me. I was like, what? Yeah. You're doing carbonic Tempranillo. Tempranillo is all about age. It's all about oak age, you know, and Crianza Reserva, Grand Reserva, and really getting those those deep kind of leathery, oxidated notes on it. Tempranillo is a heavy wine that you age for Yep. Years and years. That's what Tempranillo is for. Exactly. And then I found this and realized that I put Tempranillo in a box. And they really can make a fresh and fruity, lively uh, style of wine. Um, so, the rabbits. It's named um, after the rabbits, the bandit rabbits, the cursed rabbits. Because the winery Spain actually has a um, pretty sizable rabbit population. Um, some might call it an infestation. Um, and this in Spain? in Spain, yeah, and this vineyard loses hectares of grapes yearly to the rabbits. I mean, it's a problem. Like they're just burrowing, they're they're stealing the grapes and eating them. They're tearing up the vines. They're mm. just, I mean, it, it it is an infestation for this winery, right. and I think that it's really fun that they just chose to laugh at it, yeah, and be like, well, you know, we're gonna make wine in this vineyard till we can't anymore. I guess, yeah, and, right, because this is considered a limited release for the winery as well. Yeah. Much to my chagrin, because I would love to drink it forever. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, so oh, color-wise. Okay. It's a beautiful. Yeah. Well, well, I had a, something else I was going to say, but it, no, it's a, it's a it's deep, a, it looks like that kind of deep, deeper, purpley, purple, ready, yeah. Yeah. Ru- good ruby, ruby color that a little, you, know, you can definitely tell it has no age on clear it. Clear meniscus out at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful leg. It smells fantastic. Like it has all of those smells that you want in a Tempranillo, mm-hmm. and but it doesn't have the like harshness, yeah, right, that you can get with Tempranillo. And you know, it's funny you talked about like how with Tempranillo, it's all about age. It's all about developing those flavors over time in oak. And if we talked about Beaujolais, carbonic is a way to skip that Mm -hmm. and to get a lot of those flavors too because i still get some of that like earthy leathery quality Mm -hmm. not as much as like you know in a reserva or a grand reserva but because at that point it's the oak but definitely a crianza like i would i would drink this over a crianza absolutely because it has all those bright those wonderful fruit in that depth to it Mm -hmm. and for 15 bucks a bottle oh that's crazy come on yeah Come on. Yeah, this is, uh, I really like this wine. Um, so the winery, it's made out of, the facility actually dates back to 1851. Hmm. Um, of course, it's gone through uh, multiple hands through then, but um, 
Moscavinos is owned by uh, three friends. They were all separate winemakers mm-hmm. and they met in 1998 and kind of joined forces. Um, and they, th- just from what I've, what I've seen of them, they just look like really fun, wonderful people. This is um, an organic wine. This is a certified sustainable wine. This is a lot of those things that if you are uh, looking towards the future with any concern, you cannot feel, you don't have to feel guilty about purchasing this bottle. Yeah. So it is manual harvest. Um, and then they do a spontaneous whole bunch fermentation in stainless steel tanks for this guy. So pretty classic. So whole cluster. Whole mm-hmm. cluster. So they don't tell you. I cannot imagine at the price point that there's too much control over grapes being crushed as they go into mm-hmm. the vat. I mean, yeah. it's, you just can't. They're, now, they're Susie, picking I'm, and putting them in. I'm getting more tannins sure. with this wine. Well, than I mean, any of the other two. Tempranillo in itself is a thicker skin wine. That's right. Higher skin to juice contact ratio. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is that is a product of the grape. Mm-hmm. Because both Pinot Noir and um, Gamay are thinner skin grapes. Correct. Which is one of the reasons the color is much is much mm-hmm. richer here mm-hmm. in this Tempranillo. So you're getting a lot of those skin tannins. But there are, there, skin tannins are usually the ones to me that come across a little softer. Yeah. They're not the ones that like dry your mouth for no, a day. Yeah. They just give it that well, body. It's trying enough I want to drink more. Well, yeah, yeah. That's the acid. But there still is a juicy <laughs> backbone to yeah. it. Like it's very velvety on the back of your palate. Now what are these little mouse ears? <laughs> <laughs> rabbit ears. Rabbit ears. Oh okay. Oh, no, Rab- not the rabbits. The rabbit ears. So I brought some some mushroom chips. I thought that, you know, with the fruitiness of this wine well, it still does have some earthy quality that just like a, a a nice earthy kick in the back with the mushrooms might be something that would, or at least hint to the possibility of a future, larger, more fulfilled pairing. Right. Well, and like you said, like we've talked about these wines before, they're fun, they're easy to drink, they're opening. They're definitely, if you're thinking of like a night in wine, they can be at the, they can be at the main table, but they're also great in the front of the at the front of the meal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great thing with like these chips. The chips have a good bit of salt to them. That wonderful earthy umaminess from mm-hmm. the mushroom gives it that like leathery feel mm-hmm. of a, of an older Tempranillo. But you can just put this out as your as your snacky wine. Mm-hmm. And at the price point like you said, crack it open, have a glass, have some of these while you're cooking dinner. And if you want to move this to your main meal, you can. Or if you want to put the screw cap back on it and go yeah. and save it for tomorrow for your for the same kind of thing, you can definitely do that. Mm-hmm. I love a screw cap, especially oh, when yeah. you talk about it in <laughs> Yep. It's good. We're ready to go. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and as as people who in the service, it makes it so easy. Right. <laughs> it's easy too. When you're coming, you can still do full formal, but just that, that one little thing makes uh, it 10. I was talking to uh, John Grishel once who has Grishel Cellars. Uh-huh. He doesn't put foils on his wines because mm. he used to be a waiter. And, and he's like, I would sell the ones that didn't come with foils on them because I got tired of cutting myself on foil. I can totally understand that's that. That's a great sales technique to me. Exactly. But um, I so, love the foil that you can pull off. Yeah, but you not know, at a table. I can't, yeah. like, it's just not. Yeah, that's uncultured. Yeah, 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 yeah. uh, here I am. I have to, well, I home, have to be formal. At uh, home, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Susie, I, I snuck some goat cheese. It was a good. Oh, it was. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because the goat cheese and, and tannins, 
They just paired so well. Mm-hmm. And the tannins aren't that hot. Right. But that that sweetness of the goat cheese and the sweetness and the tannins and, oh, that's that's well, really And I just nice. think that our, this progression of wines, too, does make this wine sing as a more tannic wine. Yeah. Then if you lined it up with a bunch of traditional fermentation wines, mm-hmm. it would be the fresh, kind yeah. of lively mm-hmm. one of the bunch. I did want to say that this does have some malolactic uh, fermentation or okay. conversion as well um, in amphora, but it's not fined or filtered. Okay. And they do add a tiny bit of sulfur as a preservative, which with a screw cap isn't really a shock to me. Right. Um, right. So, Susie, for people who don't know, what's an amphora? An amphora, technically, it is what ancient civilizations would have aged wine in, but it's a large clay uh, pot. pot. Uh, if the traditional ones have a, a pointy bottom. And then you have to make like a specific uh, holder for its pointy bottom, which mm. I never fully understood why that would be a thing. Um, but yeah, a large clay pot. And you can age wine in it multiple times over. They're well, they probably of, had a lot of sediment. That's what that pointy bottom Yeah, but was. you're still going to have to pour off of it, which is like why a bottle has a shoulder is to put yeah, the sediment okay, there. Okay. So by the time yeah. you poured, I don't know that that would make it. Oh, okay. It may just, it may have been something that's like, hey, this is wine versus water. Sure. Yeah, it was sealed. Yeah. Uh, History's mysteries. Exactly. (laughs) Another interesting thing that I found out when I was researching carbonic maceration as a whole and things like that, uh, and then looking into this wine specifically, was that until the 18th century, uh, when Jean Pinot came to Rioja, carbonic maceration was the only way they made wine. Like Nobody knew anything different. Right. Yeah. So they would right. just like have these amphora, yeah. throw the grapes in there, them seal in. them off, and that's how they made wine. And nobody had a name for it because it wasn't until the um, 40s, 30s, 40s, when Michel Flanzi came about and actually invented carbonic maceration, but he actually gave it a name. Right. And then it became adopted in Beaujolais in the 50s. It kind of took yeah. uh, World War II to pass over before anybody caught on to it. Uh, the Passover? Pass. So. <laughs> I get excited about wine and I get, like I start talking faster and faster. Yeah. So I, I found that interesting as well that it, it is actually a very traditional way to create wine for this region, but everything shifted in the 1900s and then Rioja and Tempranillo became what we know it as today. And right. then now people are kind of shifting back to create uh, a Tempranillo that is a little bit more bare. Because uh, really, when you think about this style of fermentation, it's like it's wine with no makeup on. Yeah. Like it's naked. There's nothing added to it. And it's exactly. just like pure joy. And it's so like refreshing and, and light. And it's the grape itself is just there. Yeah, it, it, it does really just show. So what do you think about the people who say, well, carbonic maceration is bad for the wine industry because it's a way to not show terroir in wine? It really just shows this kind of fruit forward. You don't get a sense of terroir if you use carbonic maceration. Well, that's like saying you don't get a sense of terroir if you use oak. Or that's like saying you don't get a sense of terroir if you have a secondary fermentation. Because so much, ha- like there's so many choices that could be made within winemaking and realistically how many wine regions in the world are terroir driven. Right. Is Burgundy? 
Bordeaux. Well, Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. Bordeaux gets to blend. Bordeaux gets to oak age. Bordeaux exactly. gets to do all of these other things. And so you can always manipulate however you want to. And I think that's one thing about carbonic maceration is that there, it seems to be that there's so much less manipulation right. than what we would now consider to be traditional winemaking. Okay. Yeah. And, and like I said at the beginning, I'm one of those people that I love carbonic maceration. I don't think it needs to be used everywhere with every grape sure. because I don't think, I don't think some grapes blend to it. I think a carbonic macerated Cabernet Sauvignon would be terrible. Oh, really? I, yeah. I don't, I don't, or I a carbonic Syrah. I mean, I try it. Oh, carbonic Syrah. But carbonic Syrah. Uh, carbonic Syrah would be Syrah? okay. Carbon, carbonic Syrah. Syrah would be okay because it's, to me, Syrah has much of that like meaty extraness that mm-hmm. fruit would add to. When it comes to like Cabernet Sauvignon, I, I just, I, I don't know why. I just don't think it would, I don't think it would taste great because of a lot of the, re, especially like California, I don't think California, Carbonic California Cab would be great with some of like the herbiness that you get with that. And I don't know if that's from their fermentation style or terroir. To mess around with the Cabernet, they better just go ahead and pump it out like well, it's yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> they're making money. Yeah, at that point, can you imagine? Can you imagine somebody like one of the big boys, like Silver Oak, or somebody like taking Silver Oak, taking, oh, not taking mess like taking just like two two to five rows and saying, "Okay, we're going to carbonic this." So I guarantee you, Anthony <laughs> Bell tried it. Uh, I guarantee you, <laughs> he probably did. And I guarantee you, Jed Steele. Not that he's in that same yeah. exact region, but I bet you. You He's, bet he tried it. You know, I well, mean, yeah. he tried to grow uh, Vitis vinifera grapes from seed. Oh my! That gosh. was like an experiment of his, was <laughs> just to see if he could do it. Like there, there are some no, true weirdos out there, and I salute them. Yeah. Well, I mean, Anthony Bell makes his rosé from Syrah, so I'm sure he did take. You <laughs> tried, he tried it. Oh, well, Syrah, but I think Syrah would be really good with it. I think I think it would add some like fun like freshness, especially coming from Rome. Just get some IGT, yeah, carbonic stuff. Going. I think that there's a lot of options out there, and I think that, but I I do think it's a risk. It's like you were talking about with the Willamette Valley vineyards and like their percentage of whole cluster carbonic versus their per- percentage of crushed mm-hmm. juice fermentation, and you have to find the balance within that. Right. Because also there are some risks with carbonic maceration. Uh, specifically when you're throwing the whole clusters in there, which are is bacterial or microbial uh, Oh, yeah, infection. that could be a problem. It can be a big problem. I mean, and realistically, like, I was Those working, damn rabbits, I tell you what. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and also Brettomyces introduction and a volatile acid and things like that. I mean, there are some considerable risks to be considered, especially, like, I was at a liquor store one day and a lady brought up a bottle of wine. She said, I think there's something wrong with this. And I'm like, well, we're all right, you weirdo. And then then she hands it to me and there's a black fly floating in this bottle of Pinot Grigio. (laughs) And I'm like, well, yes, ma'am, there is something wrong with this. That that you can't hide. You know, and which is another thing, which I want to talk about that I don't believe in vegan wine at all because of bugs, but that's a whole (laughs) whole different deal. I mean, because let's be realistic about natural products. So you're throwing whole clusters of grapes in there and you don't think there's anybody hiding Oh yeah, they're they're definitely you know definitely carry along. When you talk about Opus One, make you know with the optical sorter, Mm. like that's not something that you're going to experience the same. 
Jeez. Those, have you ever seen one of those optical sorters work? No. It's incredible. Like, so when. Actually, I think I have seen a video of it. It's insane to watch it because when I was in, when I was in Bordeaux, I was able to see it happen. And it's strange Mm -hmm. because you have these like individual berries coming and then you see them all coming and randomly you'll see just ones that'll just fall straight down. Oh, yeah. And they just get like a puff of air because they're not big enough or they're too big or there's something attached to it. So they're like, they'll like puff it down. And I'm like, so you say a puff of air, does it feel like uh, no country for old men? <laughs> <laughs> I was not that close to feel, <laughs> to feel it, but <laughs> it yeah. just kind of adds that. It, but those optical sorters are so strange. But when we, when we go, to, when we're talking about like, this type of fermentation versus some of these other things that happen, you know, individual berry picking, individual, like individual berry sorting, optical sorters. This is like, this is just that rustic way. You throw it in a vat, you let it start fermenting. When you, when you see stuff that's bursted, let's, let's, okay, let's press out the juice that we can get. Right. Let's check our gravity. Okay. We're not quite there yet. Let's let it sit for a little longer and let's make wine. Yeah. Like, I think if we were to be able to track back the history of wine, I think we would be surprised at how much carbonic maceration there actually yeah. was, especially back before World War II and even World War One. I. I think so. Where they weren't tracking yeah. a whole lot as much. Right. And yeah, especially back to the monks where they're just, they're making wine. You throw it into that, you let it ferment, and ta-da. Which is, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of, it's like, uh, now this type of winemaking seems to be so punk rock. Yeah. And I yeah. think that it's just because it doesn't pay attention to all the, you have to do this and you have to do this. And if you don't, it's not real wine. Yeah. Well, most carbonic maceration wine is intended to be drank young. Yeah. It's intended to just be enjoyed and not uh, to be necessarily overthought about. I mean, maybe some of the winemakers on this, if they were listening to this, would be like, guys, shut up and just drink it. Yeah. And right. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, listen, we make wine to be drunk. Right. We don't make wine to be held. Like, and that's, we talked about this when it came to like, like really nice bottles of bourbon. Cause I went to a, a, a bourbon raffle the other day and it's like, look, we don't make these things to be just held and coveted and put away in, in glass storage cases. And for you to tell your friends, Hey, look at this cool bottle I got. Oh my God. They make it to be cracked open and say, Hey, taste this awesome thing with mm-hmm. me. Right. And I mean, Susie, you and I know this when it comes to like first growths and all those like wonderful, some of the best wines in the world, they're unattainable now. Right. Right. Like, you know, DRC, you can barely buy a bottle. Hey, there's going to be some coming in. I'll tell you about it. Okay. Yeah. You feel fr- <laughs> I'm, you know, if you want to make sure it's good, I would be happy to help you with that. Uh, right. I, I could yeah. do it. Do a quality test on some bone Romany. Yeah, yeah. That'd be, that'd be amazing. But it's, it's so unattainable because what? A Von Romani in a restaurant would in Arkansas it would be a couple thousand dollars. I don't think to, if, I, I don't think that that's going to be the situation okay. uh, with some Albert B show that's going to come into the state. Okay, Ooh. Albert B show, yeah. right? And so uh, I would just keep your ears perched for that. You know, it's yeah. always we're a smaller market and we have to contend with that and we have to be like, you know, you get what you get and don't throw a fit. Right. But also see the opportunities when things are going to become available to you because there are serious wine collectors in the state and a lot of things yeah. will just go straight into somebody's cellar 
Right. You know, and from a restaurant restaurant perspective, I've got to grab it and then That's, identify the person that would really appreciate and know what they've got. Right. And, you know, it's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a volunteer. And Here we are. Yeah, I, I volunteer as tribute. But it just comes down to that, and that's one of the things, kind of like you're talking about when it comes to this and these winemakers. They're saying we make great stuff, drink it, yeah, right. Don't let it sit around, and you know, forty dollars, like we said, forty dollars is not just a random open night. Always that was, that was thirty-five, the <laughs> highest, the highest price bottle on the table. Yeah, you can just open it randomly and drink it, but for a, you know, you may want to just think about that. But these other ones, like most of Beaujolais is not going to be that high. No. Most of Beaujolais is going to be 25 or below. Right. Pop it open, drink it. You'll find some fantastic wines. I love Beaujolais. It's one of my favorite wine regions in the I world. I love Beaujolais. I hate Beaujolais Nouveau. It hasn't just been. I don't know. It It's getting, it's getting to the, the point. the tannins or what? What tannins? Are you talking? No, what are you talking just, about? I'm just asking. What it's just doesn't it's lie. It's not. It's, it's just discombobulated. When you drink it, like it's just a little bit everywhere. And I know that it's nouveau. It's an immature wine, but like it is when you can, when you can, when you can taste something and not even try and, and you're not trying to break it apart and it just goes in front of you and there's nothing that connects it. It's, it's something that you're like, okay, I don't really want to drink this. I'll go drink something else. Maybe I have like PTSD from my retail days. (laughs) Yeah. Where you're like, you have to get the Beaujolais Nouveau. Everybody's beating on the door to get the Beaujolais Nouveau. And then Thanksgiving passes and you're sitting there staring at these three cases of like, well, what, uh, what happens to it now? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it needs that little bit of extra time to come together. But it 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 is what it, what is. it is. And it's it's not ashamed about being what it is. Right. So we're coming up on Best on Play, John. Yeah, I think we should go through best on plate. So, Dad, why don't you run through what you think was best on each plate? Well, let's see. On your plate, that brought with the cheese, that was best on your plate. Okay. And best on my plate, well, I tell you what. It's the brought with the cheese. (laughs) (laughs) I think something smoky really does just compliment. What's that? Like something smoky. Yeah. Compliments all of these wines so well. Well, I tried it with each one, mm-hmm. but it's not best on plate because it wasn't on the plate <laughs> for each one. All right. So what was best on your plate? Uh, the French the French goat cheese, even though it wasn't as good as the, the goat cheese on your plate. Okay. And then, of course, we only had one choice. But it was wow. a great, it was you great. You know what? If I, I set myself up for success, it was for zero failure. You had best on play. <laughs> it was the best on the plate. So, Susie, what do you think for you? What was the, kind of your best pairings on each one? Um, I um, was all about the funky goat milk brie moment. That yes. that was to that me was the fantastic. best pairing of the evening. Okay. That was for sure. I have to agree with John that I like the goat cheese yeah. with his wine. Yeah. The salami uh, was a little oil slicky. For yeah. me, it's just a little bit too too much, and I actually kind of like my little mushroom chips. I love them. I mean, yeah. the mushroom the mushroom chips worked were fantastic. I think that they would be if you were building a whole charcuterie because sometimes you run yeah. out of options. Uh, you're like, there's only so many meats and cheeses that we should exactly consume realistically. We could have had a beautiful charcuterie table, but then it'd be a four hour podcast <laughs> at some point. No, <laughs> some point we run out of bottles. And what about you, Josh? 
So I I agree. The mushrooms were probably perfect with the the wine that Susie brought because it added that extra depth that when for somebody who under, who drinks a lot of Tempranillo, you like you look for that. It mm-hmm. just fits it perfectly. There really wasn't saltiness, but it kind of had that flavor yeah. to it. Almost it. soy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That umami mm-hmm. salt soy kind of thing. I actually I enjoyed the goat cheese with yours. I think the favorite thing that I had was when I put the, the salami and the goat cheese together on a cracker. Because <laughs> it hit, cause it hit every because okay. it hit everything. But, yeah, there's no there's no rules, but that was cheating. I actually <laughs> of course. I actually really enjoyed the comte with my wine. Yes. That it was great. I, I first of all I love comte cheese. But that extra nuttiness and that earthy underbalance just yes. tasted just tasted so well with that wine. And it was one thing that to me kind of created something new. Exactly. So I, I really enjoyed that. So um, I think it is time to go to the blind. I'm ready. Right? Yeah. Uh, All, right. Um, All right. So we're heading into the blind now. Um, I'm using a tasting sheet that is developed by a former boss of mine. Her name is Jennifer Hendrickson. She is now the director of hospitality and education at Domain Serene. Oh, that's a good job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're hiring, by the way. Domain Serene is hiring. <laughs> for those of you who may be looking for something new out in Oregon, a cool, cool little company. Anyway, all right, here we go. All right, so this is a red wine. Um, it's definitely kind of ruby-ish, almost purpley, going out to a wonderful magenta meniscus. Um, no real evidence of gas and gas or sediment. The legs are basically non-existent in this wonderfully clean glass my dad gave me. So if I were doing this for real, I'd say I'd come back to this later. Uh, there's no real staining that I can see. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and be confident and say there's no staining in the tears. And on the nose, uh, it's a clean wine. There is some like vitamin flavor smell mm. that I'm kind of getting on it. Almost kind of reminds me a little bit of Flintstones, um, kind of some of that. Uh, but the fruit is, um, fruit's kind of hidden by that, in my opinion. Susie, help me out if you feel like. <laughs> you a lot of alcohol. Yeah. There's a lot coming through. So this is actually in a uh, one of the white wine glasses, the Rita white wine glasses. I'm kind of trying to blow some of it off. Yeah, so down there, there's some definitely kind of more of the uh, red black fruit, so like dark, dark cherry, kind of blackberry ish, maybe a little bit of like dusty raspberry, black cherry. Yeah, so, so I'm get, I'm also getting some like vegetal, vegetal quality, some kind of like stemmy earthiness, maybe a little bit, like I said, kind of a little dustiness. I don't really get any kind of is straight. it garbonic maceration? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can be completely. I can be completely we clear with sure that. About that. Yeah. There, this is not carbonic. Well, this and the is, oxidative note does stand out so much more after you've tasted several wines that don't have that note at all. Right. Yeah. You can you can definitely tell. Like like you're saying, after after you've had these, if you go to something like this, you'd be like, oh, that is definitely different. Mm-hmm. Still pretty good wine though. Yeah. So on the palate, you can definitely taste kind of all those. You can definitely taste that like blackberry, some like. I'm getting kind of like a 
raspberry, black cherry. Maybe not, but no, not blackberry. I but there's some pepper. Yeah, there's definitely kind of some of that like peppery spiciness, herbaceous kind of flavor, almost like a, um, it's almost like an herb that's like coming through that's giving you that pepper. Mm-hmm. It's not. I don't. I don't present it as like cracked black pepper or Serrano. like. Serrano. Okay. I, that, Maybe, that's too like hot faint, for me. Like faint. Yeah. Faint. Very. Yeah. Well, and see, I don't. I don't eat. I don't eat hot peppers because I'm one of those really, really people. <laughs> I get the hiccups if I eat a if I eat a jalapeno. Any allspice? Uh, no. <laughs> I do not get allspice in this. So that's, what about that's, old spice? Old spice? Mm, no. This is this is it's not it's not reminding me of that old spice kind of flavor. It's good. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a good one. Acid. Acid on this is kind of. It's medium plus. Mm-hmm. Alcohol is definitely medium plus. Mm-hmm. It is dry. It's not super, super dry on this. Tannins. Tannins plus. It's a medium, kind of medium plus. Mm-hmm. It's definitely some of that oak usage because you're getting some of those, like, you get some of the baking spice. It's more cinnamon kind of flavor to it. Any barnyard? No. I don't really get any barnyardiness. To this I get some of like dusty road kind of cracked earth. There's a little bit of minerality to it. God, I have not tasted it in a long time. <laughs> every time. So I already like I already have my determination of what I think it is because every time I just get so impatient with the grid that I'm like, this I know, is what I, think. I know am, this is. Am I wrong? Am I, I'm her, probably wrong. You want her to throw it out? Well, no, no, no. It's too early. He's <laughs> on a process. So, like I said, there's some vegetalness to this. Vegetalness, I'm, you know, four wines in now. It's a good wine, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, you can definitely tell it's a of a high quality. Yeah, definitely high quality producer. It tends more toward this like light, fruity earth earthiness to it, mm-hmm. and kind of the way the wine presents itself. It's it shows fruit, but it it has like some undertone to it. Okay, so I'm gonna say initially this is gonna be. I'm going to kill myself on this one. I'm going to say it's an world wine. It's coming more from a moderate climate. Possible grapes on this are Sangiovese, Grenache, Tempranillo-ish. Okay. Possible countries, Spain or Italy, three to five years in age range. I think this is a Sangiovese-based wine. I think it's coming from Chianti because it's got this like dusty earthiness with some vegetaliness to it. Um, I'm going to say it's from Chianti. I'm not going to go farther than that. And I think it is a 2017. All 17 right. on that. There you have it. Yep. So but that's I'm so, going to ask Susie what she thinks. What do you think? So I'm, I'm probably wrong, just uh, so you know, but I'm an Aries, so I just head first. <laughs> I think it's Coat Roti. You think it's Coat Roti? Yeah. Okay. So Syrah. Uh-huh. Syrah, Syrah-based wine. It's a, the, the black pepper is so tingly on the front mm-hmm. of, in the front of my tongue, okay. and it's still got a freshness to it. Which, when you get into Northern Rhone Syrahs, they tend to still present uh, more like young and acidic than you would think they would. Okay, cool. So, so she's, she's saying Cote Roti New from, World, no Old World, Cote Roti France. You, oh, North oh. Northern Rhone, and you're saying, and I'm saying Italy. Oh world we are both we are we have agreed on the old world okay we are okay. nowhere close on everything else <laughs> all right 
So you'll have to come back next week to figure out what we are doing. And speaking of next week, yeah. Dad, it's a beer week. What are we doing? It's a beer week. We're doing seltzers. Ooh. Everything. <laughs> everybody's talking seltzers. I love seltzers and, and I don't know what shots. seltzers are. <laughs> so what are you doing, Josh? I'm going to be doing our local one this time. I'm going to be doing the Lost 40 Punchy Black Cherry Seltzer. Black Cherry. From our local brewery, Lost 40, which we love and we talk about a lot. So, yeah. Dad, you're going to be doing the nationally distributed one. What is it going to be? I'm doing Mighty Swell. It's a peach spiked seltzer. Awesome. Comes out of Texas. Awesome. So if you remember, as we talk about all the time when it comes to our beer ones, if you can't find exactly what we're doing, if you can find a peach seltzer and you can find a black cherry seltzer, you get, you'll be able to taste along with decoy actually has their own uh, seltzer line. So well, decoy kind of, is wine. Right. But yeah. wine it's a wine spritzer. And apparently uh, okay. their wine, no, their tasting room manager at where they have the Sauvignon Blanc grown used to make yeah. people wine spritzers. And then they, ah. like, it was just so popular. It was the thing. And so they just canned it. Oh, my and goodness. And I had some samples. Um, and then my bartender drank them. And I was kind of upset at first. And I was like, ah. So, so I fine. bought some of those, too. <laughs> but, yeah. Decoy. So, Dorky, decoy seltzers. But, so, if you if you can't find the ones we talked about, get grab yourself a Blackberry. Grab and black cherry. Not blackberry. Black. Grab yourself a black cherry. And a peach. And a peach, and you'll be good to go. And so it'll be lots of fun. Well, Susie, this Thank has been so awesome. Much. I had a good time. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Yeah. We we've and really enjoyed having you on. It's a great topic. And I have a feeling that dad, if you're ever out of town, Susie, we may get, you know, three or four wine geeks around the table and go back to carbonic maceration. Uh, you know, I love to talk. So, so we, on. we yeah. could definitely get it going. But we, we thank you for coming. And once again, if you are in the Little Rock area or you're coming through Little Rock, check out Petit and Keat, Cypress Social, great wine list, nationally recognized wine list, and great food to go with it. And, you know, you may get to see our good friend Susie where you're And if you're there, Susie will hook you up with a good wine. Yeah, she'll, match, hope, your, she'll match your food. <laughs> yeah, she'll do, she'll do a great job. And she's trained. She's also done a great job training her staff to know what to help people with. Exactly. So, so Susie, once again, thank you for being here. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank awesome. you. And once again, I'm Josh Mills. And I'm John Mills. And we'll see you next time. Thank you and goodbye.